Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Mission Church. You guys happy to be at church today? Come on, you came to a great day today. Uh, we have a guest speaker today. Brought in the big gun, okay? All the way from the OC, Oceans Church. Uh, Mark and Rochelle Francie are just two of the greatest people Rachel and I have met on this journey. Uh, four years ago, uh, before they even planned their church, uh, almost five years ago now, uh, we met at this pastor gathering and uh, just hit it off. Um, Mark had me at hello, to be honest. Um, and uh, Jerry Maguire, it's about 1990s. It's, anyways, um, what's, Mar- what's Jerry Maguire? It's a Tom Cruise movie, it's amazing. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, just a great buddy. And uh, they plan their church, and God has just done an amazing thing in uh, less than four years at Ocean Church. There is literally a move of God happening in the OC. Thousands are gathering. It's a special thing. Um, and I was trying to think, like, how do I describe Mark real quick before I came up and just speak to you? And the word that came to mind was just greatness. And, and the reason why I say that is uh, Mark's a great father. He's a great husband. He's a great communicator. But the thing that really marks his life, he's just a great follower of Jesus. Like, and, and it's interesting, like, when you meet a great follower of Jesus, the ones that I realize that are really great followers of Jesus, if Jesus says it, you do it. Yeah. If it's in the Bible, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow it. And, and so when you have a great follower of Jesus, everybody else benefits from it. Uh, we had a great time yesterday. I came home and told Rachel, I said, man, my soul is so stirred up. My faith is bigger. Uh, Mark's a big faith guy. I said, man, he, he's my faith friend. You know, I, was believing, I was believing again for the name of Marcus again downtown. I let that die, and then I hung up with Mark, and we're getting the name of Marcus again. We're getting all downtown Long Creek uh, for a building. So um, I'm very thankful. Uh, Mission Church, we respond well here. We love well here. Will you give it up for my good friend, Pastor Mark Francie? Come on. Love you. Thank you so much. Come on, honor Pastor Tyler real quick. Come on, do you love your pastors here at Walnut Creek? You guys love your, come on, who loves your pastors? Come on, give them a real hand clap. That's all right. You guys have some incredible pastors here, and uh, man, they've been inspiring me since the very beginning. We did meet at a pastor's gathering. That's always a good time. And uh, we were sitting at a table together, and, and Rachel and him started telling us they were six months ahead of us. So this church is about six months older than our church. And I was freaked out of my mind. I'm like, Lord, are we going to sink? Uh, do you care about us? Are we going to make it? And I remember talking to them at that lunch table, and it stirred my faith. And uh, how many grateful for friends that stir your faith? Anybody have a friend that stirs your faith? Maybe I should pray today for some more friends that stir your faith. But it's going to be a good day. Who's up for having a good time today at, at, at Mission Church? You guys up for that? I, uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm honored to be here. I uh, love your pastors so much, some of our, some of our good friends in ministry. And uh, it's hard to find people, to be honest, that value what you value, that love what you love, that are like-minded. And I really think there's only two types of churches today in the world, Christian churches, is there are those that believe that Jesus is coming back for a defeated, for a uh, messed up, for a busted, broken, isolated, confused church that's praying to be raptured in the fetal position, hiding in Christian ghettos. And there's others that believe that he's coming back, not as a rescue mission, but to marry his bride. A glorious church, a church that's without spot, that's without wrinkle, the church that leads and doesn't follow. Can I get an amen at Walnut Creek? And I believe that you're in a church like that today. We believe that God is coming back for a glorious bride. 
And uh, this is a glorious church. Very few churches have done what you guys have done here, especially in Northern California, to see a move of God hit Walnut Creek. Come on, you, get, you, got, all the, you got all the Golden State Warriors in your town, and you have Walnut Creek Church, our mission church in Walnut Creek. How blessed are you? What an awesome place to live. And so we're going to pray for the Warriors today. Can I get a good amen? And, uh, and then we're going to open up the BIBLE. If you have your Bible today, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 5. I love the Bible. I love, I love the Bible. Anybody love the Bible here at Mission Church? You guys love the Bible? I'm excited to read the Bible today. Uh, I got to confess, I'm, I'm kind of a one-trick pony. Uh, I, I take this book at face value. I believe it is the infallible Word of God. I believe that it speaks to us. I believe as we read it, it begins to read me. And uh, it's the only book that we read with the author. And uh, I'm going to read it today with God present in this room. We're going to have a good time if you believe it. Come on, can I get a good amen? Yeah. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, my wife sends her greetings. I'm married uh, now. This will be, for me, this year, I, it's coming up on 16 years of marriage. I got married when I was four, and uh, my wife is uh, amazing. We have two daughters, uh, now 14 and seven years old. I think I was here two years ago, before the apocalypse, and um, glad to make it back. Glad you guys made it. We're all here. But I have a picture of my family real quick, kind of updated. Uh, if we have that, I'm not sure we have. Maybe we don't have it. But if we do, it'll pop up on the screens. If not, praise God, it's going to be good anyways. I've uh, been married, though, and a church, again, is three and a half years old. And uh, we moved to Orange County, California. If you ever come down visiting, uh, our church is located in Irvine. And we have a campus in San Juan in kind of South Orange County. And we moved down from Boise, Idaho. The only people moving from Idaho to California, we got a great rate on the U-Hauls, and uh, they paid us to actually drive the U-Haul down here. They said, we need more trucks to rip off Californians, and so uh, we moved down in, in 2018, and uh, God told us that there was going to be a, a great spiritual awakening that hits America, that the origins would be in California. I, I believe your pastor, when he says, I was listening to some of your messages this week, uh, and even talking about how what happens in the Bay Area, this is modern-day Babylon. What happens here in this Rome is actually what's going to affect all the ends of the earth. Some people, you know, some, there were some nasty people that emailed us, religious people, in Orange County and said, why would you come to Orange County? There's plenty of churches here. And uh, I told them, I said, there's 3.2 million people in this county. That's about a million people more than my state in Idaho. And there's actually more people that don't go to church in our county than our entire state. But I'll tell you what really drew me to California. There's very few states that if they are revived, have the a power to impact the rest of the earth. If Idaho is revived, Idaho is revived. If Nevada is revived, Nevada is revived. If Texas, are you hearing me today? But if California comes alive spiritually, it will send shockwaves to the ends of the earth. Anybody believe that? I'd say about 14 people believe it in this show. Who believes that God can do it from here? Anybody? <clears throat> You catch on fast. I'm kind of a response preacher. And so if you're quiet today, I'll preach for six hours. I'll go monotone. I'll look like the cover girl for the book of Lamentations. And, uh, but if you give me some amens, come on, I can't get a, if I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. You give me a Presbyterian eyebrow raise or a Latter-day Saint deep breath. Come on, give me something today. And uh, we're going to have a good time. If you have a sense of humor you're going to enjoy today. If you don't like to laugh, you are dismissed. Bible says laughter does good like medicine. Can we all agree that medicine companies don't know what fruit tastes like? Praise God. So Luke chapter 5, if you're there, say I'm there. I want to talk to you for a few minutes. I'm going to read 11, 11 verses out of Luke chapter 5. And uh, I do have a message for you today. I, I've been really stirred recently. 
um, just to think about, I think COVID did us a favor in one way that it actually eliminated the things that really aren't that necessary. And we discovered that church is essential in 2020. And uh, we kind of made the decision pretty early on. Um, our church started with eight people. We've had about f- almost 5,000 people get saved, about 2,500 people in the church now. And it's been a, it's been a move of God in three years. And um, we, we decided we're going to honor, we're, we'll do our best to honor the government, honor God. And uh, we just decided that, hey, when, when, the, when the clubs are opening up, strip bars are opening up, alcohol shops are opening up, uh, the church needs to be open as well. And so uh, we opened back up, and uh, we just seen really a, a wave of God's power hit our church. And uh, I always tell people, uh, I want to go to a church that's the most like the Bible, not the one that's just closest to my house. And I think the book of Acts is written to us not to tease us of what God has done, but I believe that the Bible is written to tell us what God can do again. Anybody believe that here? And so I'm going to open up the B-I-B-L-E, Luke chapter 11. I brought a friend with me. He's one of our college students. His name is Shepherd Branch. You are going to be in the ministry with a name like that. Can I get a, can anybody agree with that? Shepherd Branch. You are destined to be a pastor, bro. But thank you for coming. Would you guys give Shep a uh, Northern California hand clap? Such an honor to be here with you today. I don't want to waste any more time. If you have your Bible, Luke chapter 11 is where we're turning. I want to read a familiar passage. If you've been in church for any duration of time, you've probably heard someone teach on this before. I would love it if we could look at it with a fresh set of eyes. I was a youth pastor for 17 years in Boise. I was the chaplain at Boise State University for the football program. We saw the move of God hit that campus. In 10 years, we had 18,000 people get saved. Uh, one of the largest college and youth and young adult ministries in, in, a, in the local church uh, sector in America. And uh, we're believing that what God did in Idaho, he's going to do in Southern California. And I believe he's going to do it here in Northern California. Anybody believe that God, God needs to move in California again? People were telling me, why are you moving to California, man? California is going to sink into the ocean. California is going to hell. I'm like, that's great job security. There is a lot of people that need Jesus in this state. And so, uh, man, I'm telling you, I, I remember I heard, a, I heard a story one time of a guy in the early 1900s. He flew uh, to, I think it was the Philippines, and he got there. He worked for a shoe company, and uh, he got there, and he wired back to America, and he said he got, he got there and realized no one wore shoes, in uh, that part of the Philippines. It was kind of a barefoot, third world nation. And uh, shoes were not, the sandals were the only thing that were really tolerated in that time period. And he got there and he wired back. He says, send money, I need the return immediately. Nobody wears shoes here. And uh, about, uh, about six months later, another shoesman, shoe salesman mo- went to the same city. And he, he telegraphed back to America and he said, I need you to send every single pair of shoes that you have. Nobody wears shoes here. And I believe that we have opportunity right now in California. I believe that some people see it as half empty. I see it as half full. The Bible I read says where sin abounds, grace abounds even, even more, right? And so there's a lot of opportunities in California. If you got your Bible, Luke chapter 5, I better read this today. I'm going to keep rambling. Uh, Luke chapter 5, I'm going to be reading in verse 1. This is a story about Peter. If you're taking notes today, I want to talk to you a little bit on the idea about miracles. Is that okay? Yeah. Talk about miracles. I believe that God, as we sang today, is a miracle-working God. And uh, I'm a youth pastor at heart, so I'm going to give you a youth pastor title. I'm going I'm to call it Simon Says. Is that all right? Simon Says. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake uh, of Gennesaret. It says that two boats standing by the lake and the fishermen had gone out from them. They were washing their nets. Washing their nets. What were they washing? Their, 
Thank you. That's, that's, that's it. They're washing their nets. And they got into one of the boats. Then he got, Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon. And he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets, your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and we have caught nothing. Actually, Andrew caught a cold. That's about all we caught tonight. It says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net, the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and the net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. That's a lot of fish. This, this Greek word for boat does not insinuate. It's a little boat. It's a large boat. That's a lot of fish that would sink a large boat. And both boats began to sink. Simon Peter, a professional fisherman, saw what was happening. He fell down at Jesus' knees. And watch what he says. He goes, depart from me. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken in. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when he had brought their boats to the land, they forsook. Say with me, forsook. Same word that's used. The disciples forsook him. They forsook everything, all, including the full nets, and they followed Jesus. I want to talk to you today a little bit, idea about miracles, how God still does them today. And I want to kind of give this from the perspective, I believe, what Peter would tell us today if he was alive. Uh, I want to talk to you on the subject title, Simon Says. Is that all right? I'm going to pray real fast, tell a couple stories. If you laugh, we'll call them jokes. If you don't, we'll call it a bad crowd. Amen? And uh, we're going to actually, uh, I have just a, a six points I want to share with you. And after I share those six points, I'm going to pray and ask God to kind of validate what we're teaching this morning by his presence, by his spirit, filling this room, touching hearts, touching minds, healing bodies, and doing the kind of stuff that only God can do. Is that all right today? If it's not all right, we're going to do it anyway. Is that all right? <laughs> Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we just love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in such a beautiful city. Every time I come here, I'm just taken back at the beauty of Walnut Creek. I'm taken back by Lord Northern California's beautiful rolling hills. God, the, the wonderful oak trees and just the incredible people here. Such a resilient people, such a, such a highly educated, uh, intellectually savvy. Uh, God, even just people that are, that, are, that are achievers, that are going after Lord, making a difference in the world. And so I pray today, Lord Jesus, that you would fill this room. I pray that you'd meet people where they are, whether it's their first time in church or whether they come faithfully every week. Would you meet us here this morning? Would you have your way? God, we just ask for open heavens. We pray there be no hindrance. We pray that any spirit that's not the Holy Spirit would go now, and I pray that you would fill this room full of faith. Come on, say faith. God, I pray right now you'd break anything that's of unbelief and of doubt and fill this room with faith today. We just honor you, Lord. We need you today in Jesus Christ's name, and everybody said... You know, I'm a little worried, a little concerned as a parent. I got a seven-year-old and a 14-year-old. And if I'm being honest with you, uh, there's things that they have today that we never had growing up. And I think it's actually a disadvantage. There are certain things that I knew about growing up that they don't, like, like things like pencils, <laughs> things like imagination. We used, we, we used to go outside and play in the yard. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we lived in a different era of time. Uh, I remember growing up in school, uh, we didn't have computers in every classroom. I remember when they started computer labs. 
Remember that? Computer lab. It's like, oh, we're going to computer lab today. Like, where's my scientist white jacket? Like, we're going to the lab. And I remember going in. I remember the day that they started installing projectors in our classrooms, which was glorious because when substitute teachers came in, you know, all you're going to do is watch a movie. I remember this. I remember there was games that we used to play growing up, some of those, some of those games that these younger kids don't know about. I remember playing games growing up like, like Heads Up, 7-Up. Who remembers that game? Substitute teacher comes in, you're playing Heads Up, 7-Up. My daughters have no idea about Heads Up, 7-Up. We played games like Red Rover, right? Who remembers musical chairs? Anybody remember musical chairs? That is a dangerous game. A lot of injuries, men totally being dishonoring to women. Just, just a dangerous game. Musical chairs. You had all these games that we used to play, tag, freeze tag, hide and go seek. Some of the games I grew up playing. But I remember one of the games that I actually enjoyed was Simon Says. It's kind of a high integrity game. Like heads up, seven up. You know those cheaters that like kind of scooted a little way away from the desk? They're checking shoes out. There, there's ways to kind of cheat the system with some of those games. But Simon Says was pretty point blank because if, if, if Simon didn't say it, you could not do it. And if you did it and Simon didn't say it, then you knew that you were out. It was just really clear boundaries, clear instructions. And I was thinking through this idea, you know, even with the idea of miracles, Simon, uh, who had become Peter, was one of the great leaders of the early church. We know that God used this man uh, really from a cussing, uh, doubtful, cynical, angry, a little bit bipolar, emo fisherman, uh, and becomes, him, becomes the, the pillar of the Christian church. He becomes the, the, the first preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a large crowd. He's this guy that leads 3,000 people in one day to Jesus. But I love that God gives us the backstory. And I think sometimes we, we miss it because in our intellectual world and in this world that we're living in, that actually, if we're not careful, we get so far away from the, the, the passages in the Bible that it's easy to become epistle Christians that only honor what God did in the epistles and we disregard the miracles of the gospels. Or we become gospel Christians that we only preach what Jesus did on those three and a half years of his life and we disregard his death, his resurrection, the ascension, and then we disregard the book of Acts, which is what Christianity looks like in the real world. Our conviction is we moved to California to see a Book of Acts church in Orange County. I believe that Walnut Creek deserves a Book of Acts church. Anybody else believe that? I believe that we actually owe this region a encounter with God. And I'm telling you, I'm here today as a believer in Jesus, not because someone talked me into religion, not because someone told me how screwed up I was, not because someone pointed at me at a sporting event and said, turn or burn. Last time I checked, that, that, that methodology isn't too effective. The Bible I read says it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. I know how screwed up I was. I need someone to tell me how good God is. And like Simon, my life got radically transformed. I was 18 years old. I was cynical. I was an amateur pro snowboarder. I was living just outside of Los Angeles. First 18 years of my life, I was in Egypt, or Egypt, or Los Angeles. 17 years later, I was in Boise. The last four years, I've been in Orange County. And my conviction is, like, like Peter, is that he saw a move of God, hit the book of Acts, hit the streets of Jerusalem. And I love the story here, but if we go back to the origins, you know, oftentimes they tell people in the church world, how you grow a business or how you grow a church is how you have to sustain the church. So they say, if you build a church with 75 services and you're speaking at all 75 services, that's the way the church will continue to be sustained. If you build a church on signs and wonders, well, you better keep believing that God keeps doing signs and wonders. If you build a church on sound theology, you got to continue. Are you hearing me today? Whatever you start with is what sustains. And I, I think that we know a lot about the life of Peter, James, and John. 
who would, by the way, become the inner circle of Jesus. And I went back, I, this is such a critical story, because it actually tells us the origins of when they decided to surrender to Jesus. I actually believe it was in their surrender and how they surrendered that determined how close they lived to Jesus. You see, many people say that Christianity is for broken people only, that are at the bottom, that have nothing else in life to hope for. But I believe sometimes it's not just the people that give God their lives at the bottom. Sometimes it's when our nets are full. Sometimes it's when God has given us everything that we've ever wanted in life, and you're having one of those record crazy setting seasons that you've married the model, you've got your dream job, you're in your ideal vocation, you've had everything that you set out to achieve in life, but somehow there's something on the inside of your heart that is still hollow. That's why I love Peter. That's why I love James. That's why I love John. It's because they have this moment with God in the origins of their story that they're actually literally in a boat and they're, they're, they're cleaning their nets. And I just have a few thoughts today. I think if, if they were here today in Walnut Creek, I think Simon would probably tell us something like this about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one thing he would tell us, Simon would say this. He would say, number one, God is really good at leveraging the low moments. Say with me, the low moments. I think sometimes we underestimate what God can do in our low moments. First thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes today is Jesus is trustworthy in the low places. I want you to know the Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. Geographically, it's the lowest place. But this wasn't just a story about being in a geographical low place. This was a, I want you to imagine this for a moment. They fished all night as professional fishermen. They didn't catch anything. They actually, when we pick up reading the story, they were cleaning their nets after a long night of getting skunked. Now, I don't know, I've been fishing a little, I'm not a great fisherman, just come on, a little disclaimer. Uh, I have a, guy in our, a couple guys in our church that are like pro fishermen. They took me out last summer, been out two times. I've caught a 200-pound ahi tuna. Is that our tuna? Yellowfell, I don't know, some sort of tuna. It was a big tuna. It's on my Instagram, I approve, come on. Caught this massive fish. I feel, it was like boxing Mike Tyson, I'll be honest. It was the hardest physical thing I probably ever did. I'm like, I wanted to hand the reel to somebody else. I'm like, this thing is exhausting. The only thing worse than, than fishing is, uh, is not catching any fish. By the way, if you're watching, the only thing more boring than fishing and not catching fish is watching fishing on TV. So I, on the behalf of Pastor Tyler, if you're watching fishing on TV, we want you to serve in this church. You got too much time on your hands. But notice this, they go fishing, their, their nets are empty, they caught nothing that night. And they're in a geographical low place, the Sea of Galilee, but they're also in a low place that vocationally they, had, they got skunked. No money, no income, no, no sustenance. They have bills to pay. They have mouths to feed. And they're in a low place. I believe that God always leverages low places where, where the needs of men and the compassion of God intersect. This is always the origins of miracles. Study the Bible, and whenever Jesus was moved with compassion, where the needs of men, the problems of men, collided with the compassion of God, this is often the low places that God does his best work in. That's why I think America is primed for a spiritual awakening, because the headwinds of adversity create drag that actually causes the church to lift up off the ground. Persecution always caused believers to multiply. It says in Egypt that the more that they actually in bondage the people of God, the more they multiplied. After COVID, I'm like, that's true. We have a lot of COVID babies in our church. Come on. It's like they, we, were, we, were, we were in our locked up in our houses. People have nothing else to do. We're having lots of kids. Come on, somebody. Whenever persecution arises, there's multiplication. You know if you can laugh at that joke. That's funny, though. We'll just keep going. That's appropriate in church. We'll just keep going. Wasn't always a believer. So listen, the first thing I want to tell you today is that God is trustworthy the low places. I think it's so, so key today. Many times we go, well, Mark, God doesn't heal every time, so why pray anytime? And I want you to know that our job is to believe. 
I don't know if you know this, but non-believers call us believers. Some people call Christians believers. And I think one of the scariest things that we see in the Western world today is we've gotten so far away from our roots that we become unbelieving believers. We start believing that the only thing that God can do is get us to heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, if that, was the only, if that was the only emphasis of Christianity was to get people to heaven, after we baptize you, we would drown you because there's no longer purpose for your life. I want you to know there's two things you can't do in heaven is you can't sin and you can't tell people about Jesus that no longer know him, that do not know him. I believe for one of those reasons we are sucking oxygen today. But I would say that this is so key, so important, that, that we should not be scared of anything that Jesus was not scared of. I believe that we, the deep end, I have two kids, we bought a pool with our new house, and I'll be honest, the day that your kids learn how to swim is an awesome day. There's kind of this relief that comes over you, and you still watch your kids, but there's a difference between having a baby and having a deep pool, and that's that fear of going, man, they're not safe if they fall in the water. As a pastor, one of the things I feel called to do is to teach people how to swim in the deeper part of the kingdom of God. We have a lot of people in America that aren't scared of salvation. They're not scared about going to heaven, but they're not so sure about that book of Acts stuff. I don't know if God still does miracles. I don't know if God still speaks. I don't know if God still moves. I don't know if the Holy Spirit, is, it, is that kind of weird? It's like, I met, some, I met some like Holy Spirit people that are like weird. And my disclaimer is they were weird before the Holy Spirit. Real preaching up in, come on, Walnut Creek. But here's the deal. If Jesus isn't scared of something, we shouldn't be scared of it. If the early apostles weren't scared of it, why would you be scared of it? If they said it's something that you need, why would we not want it? Why would there be things that Jesus died on the cross to give us that we wouldn't want access to? So truth is, for me, I'm an all-or-nothing guy. Like, I, I'm not even good at starting new sports because I don't like not being good in the beginning. Are you with me today? So I'm the guy that's like, if we're playing, I'm going all in. If it's real, I'm all in. If it's fake, I'm all out. C.S. Lewis said if Christianity is real, it's all important. If it's fake, it's of zero importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. What do we see in America, though? That Christianity becomes like this, this kind of like, I do it when there's nothing else going on. I like it to the degree that I'm comfortable with it. If I can wrap my eight-pound brain around it, then I'll go after it. But if I can't do that, then I'm not going after it or believing in it. Ladies and gentlemen, if God was fully understood, he would not be big enough to be fully trusted. Do you know the Bible says that all of eternity is not enough time for you or I to fathom the deep things of God? So why would we say that our theology has to be fully understood in order for us to be fully surrendered? There are some things, are you hearing me today? There are some things in the kingdom of God that you will not be able to touch with. But that is not an excuse to not go into those parts of the water. You read the Old Testament, it talks about ankle deep, knee deep. There's talks about other points of life that you get in over your head. It's only scary to go in over your head if you don't know how to. I believe that our job as pastors is to teach the people of God how to swim. I'll tell you right now, when you learn how to swim spiritually, you read the book of Acts, you don't get nervous anymore. You don't get scared when that guy talks about the Holy Spirit. Like, oh my gosh, it's going to get weird today. Charismania. I'm telling you today that the early church was proud of the presence of God. They actually were distinguished by the presence of God. I'm going somewhere today, but I want you a couple notes here. I'm, I'm still rolling. Y'all with me still? Did I offend everybody yet? Okay, let's keep going. Number two, I want you to write this down, is that number one is that Jesus, he's trustworthy their low places. Crowd was frustrated. They couldn't get close. Disciples were frustrated. They couldn't catch any fish. But notice this, that he says, Master, Lord, which was the key here. I believe that he said, Lord. In America, I think that we're good at calling Jesus Savior, friend, BFF, buddy, pal. But I'm telling you right now that one of the greatest titles of Jesus is Lord. He's the one that owns everything. Not some of your life, parts of your life, your Christian life, your spiritual life. He owns all of your life. Yeah. 
many people, they miss out on the, on, on the, on the power of God because they only give them parts. They were in a wasted day. They caught nothing. They had nothing to take in. And they had this carpenter. Can you imagine the audacity of a carpenter giving you as a commercial fisherman advice of, hey, it's time to go back out. I know that you know you don't really, we, we, kept, we, we fish early in the morning because the waters are cold and we're net fishing and you only catch fish with nets when they're on the top of the surface. Uh, but it's the middle of the day right now and there's no boats out and there's no reason why you would fish in hot waters with nets because all the fish go to the bottom to stay cool. But guess what? I want you to know, even though I build decks, cabinets, and bathroom tables, I need you to trust me and go out and launch into the deep. It'd be really easy to get offended at God when he gives you advice in an area that you think you know more than him in. That is, that is the lie of humanism, is that somehow, some way, we have more figured out than God does. Still with me? I, uh, I love the fact that this is a wasted day, and their best efforts without Jesus led them empty-handed, empty nets. I love the fact that he says, Lord, nevertheless, at your word. Simon wouldn't just say that he's trustworthy at the low places. He would tell us this, that one of the greatest things that you can do with your life is give Jesus your livelihood to be his platform. I think the reason why God selected Peter isn't just because Peter was cool. I think it's because he had a boat. This is an ancient world. I don't know if you know this, but, but he traveled a lot. And a lot of the traveling he did was by water. And Peter had a boat. And I love the fact that Peter, before he ever preached anything for Jesus, did anything in ministry for Jesus, the first thing that he did is he actually was faithful to let God use his vocation to be a platform for the, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The big lie in the world today, especially cities like Walnut Creek, cities like Newport Beach where I'm at, is that people think that if you really want to serve God, you got to get out of your job, sell your career, get out, be a missionary in some part of the world that no one's ever gone to. And that, that couldn't be further from the truth. The truth is, is that God oftentimes, he wants you to, to give him your boat, your vocation, your livelihood, and let him preach from your boardroom, from your classroom, from your locker room, from your, are you hearing me today? God, God wants to actually weaponize your daily life. Salt and light is, is, is reserved for the dark places. I heard one man say that Christianity is kind of like, in many ways, it's only effective like manure. In one place, Christians together, we stink. But if you take all of us and you distribute us around the world, we will fertilize the earth. And I think it's so important today that we got to make sure that we go, God, I will give you my boat. You can use my classroom. You can use my, my entrepreneur uh, business that I'm using. You can use my stay at home. I'm raising kids. I will give you my ship. And I think that God is looking for men and women like Peter that have a boat that's willing to be given to, to, to Jesus. Miracle invitation to launch out into the deep occurred after Peter loaned Jesus his boat. So he never would have saw the miracle of net breaking fish if he didn't first give God his vocation. And I believe that some of you will have net breaking catches of fish in the future, but the first thing you gotta do is be faithful at Starbucks, come on. Be faithful where you are, how you are, when you are. One man said that success is doing the best that you can with what you have, where you are. God's not gonna judge you on what you don't have. He's gonna actually say, what did you do with what I gave you? We wanna be a people, come on, are you with me today? that actually want to give God the sphere, the livelihood. God, God can trust me. Can you trust me, God, with the ordinary so that God can do the extraordinary? Jesus is still looking today for empty, available lives, boats that have clean nets ready to go into the deep places and make a difference for God. Can I get an amen?
He's still looking for that today. And I believe that Simon would tell us that he wants to turn your livelihood into his platform for his message. And if we'll do that, the third thing that'll happen is, is I think that Simon would tell us this, if you want to see miracles, details matter. And that's what I feel strong with today, even this region. I feel like details matter. See, sometimes we want to obey God, but we want to do it halfway. We want to say, I'll believe some of it, but I don't know if I'll believe all of it. I'm in a little bit, but I'm not in all the way. I love the fact that it's, it's really critical here. You got you to pay attention to the details. If you read the story, it says that they were cleaning their nets. Say it with me, nets. Then Jesus said, I want you to go launch out in the deep and cast your nets. But if you keep reading the story, it says that Peter grabbed a net. They had multiple nets. He only brought one. It was almost like he was reluctant to go, you know, you're, you're a carpenter. I'm going to obey you on one level, God, but I'm not going to fully believe you. I'm going to bring one net when you've asked me to bring both nets. I wonder, actually, I was thinking about this. I wonder that's why the nets were breaking, because God brought enough fish to fill two nets. And they're only willing to bring one. Why, why in the world? Can you imagine this? God had fish in mind for his ship, for his life, for, his, for, for him to see a, a real-time miracle. There was fish that God had reserved, but Peter had a partial surrender that goes, God, you want both nets? Okay, I'll obey you, but I'm going to give you partial belief. I'm going to believe that you can do some stuff, not, not, like, why do we do that in the church? Why do we somehow believe, well, God could get me to heaven, but God could get heaven inside of me. Like, God could heal a headache, but he couldn't heal terminal cancer. God could do like, he could do stuff back in the Bible, but he can't do stuff like today. That was for, that's my problem with dispensationalism, is it's like, if it's good today, it's not for today. The problem with this is, if you eradicate miracles and the power of God, listen to me, from Christianity, number one, we're TED Talkers. Because it's the power and the presence of God that separates us from the rest of the world. Number two, I, I don't believe it because it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So whenever you adopt an eschatology or a theology that requires zero faith, are you with me today? How could you please God if you're not believing for anything? What are you believing for? Heaven one day. Well, that's good. What are you believing for now on the earth? I believe if God answered all your prayers, what would happen? Sometimes if God answered all of our prayers, the only people that would be different is those that have our last names. God wants us praying for regions, for cities. God wants us to be praying for the Saul of Tarsus to become the Apostle Paul's. Are you with me today? So this is so important here is that details matter. He said, bring the nets. They brought one net. They, 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 caught, they caught so much because he's not barely, he's not Jehovah barely. He's not Jehovah broke. He's El Shaddai. He is the God that is more than enough. They caught a great number of fish. The nets began to break. Fish were waiting on Peter's obedience. I believe that's what's happening in Orange County right now. God's been looking for somebody stupid enough, crazy enough to go, God, I'll take you at your word. It's funny, sometimes we, we believe God, we start reading the Bible, we believe that he can move, that he's powerful, and then we go to cemetery or sem seminary and we start getting these theological degrees and we got more degrees than a thermometer and we have all these, we have all these, 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 these awards and all these uh, academic, intellectual, uh, uh, just uh, credentials, but the, the truth is, is we are, we're still the laughing stocks of hell. Where are the churches that have the presence of God, the fire of God, the power of God? Ladies and gentlemen, Moses became Moses because of a burning bush moment. The reason why Aaron created idols and fell and faltered is because he never personally had a burning bush moment. I'm of the persuasion that you could actually be around God your whole life and still not be impacted by him. 
You can ask Judas. Judas spent three and a half years. He saw the miracles. He saw the storm listen to his voice. He saw the blind eyes open up. He saw the dead rise from the the grave. He saw the miracles, but he didn't keep following because, listen to me, you can be around it, but you have to personally believe in him. And I just feel like in California today, we're so highly academic, and so I'm I'm not against education. But I do believe sometimes we start to rationalize and we start to actually logically, we start to deconstruct what God could do today. And we say, that's not possible. I know it's not possible for a human being to live inside the body of a whale for three days. That is physically, the stomach acids would have lacerated his intestine. And it's impossible. I'm like, yeah, of course it's impossible. I'm not arguing that living in a well for three days is impossible. I'm not arguing that saving the world with a floating zoo is not impossible. I'm not arguing that opening up the Red Sea and walking on a dry beach is impossible. I'm saying it is impossible. I'm saying our God does the impossible. Amen? And I just want you to know when you start thinking, well, it doesn't happen. Well, listen, you, you believe in a God that you've never seen, born of a woman that was never on a honeymoon. Hello? You believe in a, you believe in a God that rose from the dead. You believe in a God that the Bible says was seen by 500, that 120 took him at his word, 380 disregarded him. You know, God told me last week on Pentecost Sunday, as he said this, Mark, he goes, we live in a world that has seen Jesus, we know he's real, but like the 380, we know that he resurrected, we know that he's alive, but we're not really interested in going to the upper room. Think about this, 500 saw him out of the grave during the 40-day retreat, 500. 500 people saw Jesus get out of the grave, physically eat, physically walk the earth, listen to him, talk to him, eat, ate with him. But he said, last words of Jesus were not go make disciples. The last words of Jesus were go and wait for the promise of the Father. Go to the upper room, go to Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Last instructions were not go, they were to wait. Wait for what? The Spirit of God. And this, I'm getting ahead of myself. Is this all right? I'm just kind of going. I, just, I feel something in here today. Is that all right? is I do believe that you will never live like Jesus without the spirit of Jesus. And he knew there'd be a lot of frustrated, discouraged, depressed Christians trying to be holy without the Holy Spirit, trying to be powerful without the spirit of the powerful God. So he said, I want you to go. But listen to me, 500 saw him, but only 380 of them, 380 goes, look, we believe that he's resurrected. We believe that he's real, but we don't want anything more than what we currently have. And I believe religion is like that even today is there's many people live in California that go, no, no, I'm comfortable with resurrected Jesus. I'm comfortable with going to heaven one day. I don't know about that upper room stuff. I don't know about that stuff that, man, I, 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 I don't know, man, but here's who I am. If Jesus died to give me an upper room experience, I want it. If the Bible is being written today, I would want my name to be on the 120 list, not on the 380 list. Can I ask you a question, Walnut Creek? Would you want to be on the 120 list or the 380 list? It's funny how we criticize different generations, right? We, we talk about World War II. Like, how in the world could they do that, World War II? How could they get those concentrations? How could they be so dumb? How could they let this happen? And then we go through 2020, and we're like, whoa, maybe we can see how society gets stupid really fast. Can we all agree? How could this happen? Think about this theologically. How could we, how could we drift like this? That Jesus, he does all these things in the Bible. He says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. No scripture in the Bible says, yeah, it's going to stop on uh, September 14th of, uh, of AD 97. When that happens, when the last apostle dies, that's when it's all going to dry up. Stream's going to dry up, and we're going to live off of yesterday's miracles. Someone asked me recently, said, Mark, when do you get old? 
And I heard one of the greatest one lines I've ever heard before about age in life. Someone said, a wise man once said, you get old when you're more excited about your memories than you are about your future dreams. And I believe if we're not intentional, the church gets old when we're living off the memories of what God has done and we no longer have new dreams and new visions of what God can do. I believe that what Jesus did in Galilee, he can do in Walnut Creek. I believe what the Holy Spirit did in Jerusalem, he can do here in Los Angeles. Does anybody believe that today? And I want to encourage us as believers, if we're going to be those that have net-breaking catches of fish, details matter. Not only that, it's the goodness of God that reveals who we really are. Number four. You come up here on the keys. I'm almost finished up. Number four is the, it's the goodness of God that reveals who we really are. Verse eight. Notice that there was no sermon. We don't have, uh, Luke didn't think it was important enough to write down what Jesus preached. We have no record of him looking at Peter saying, you're a sinner. You're going to go to hell, turn or burn. No record of that. There's no record of Jesus getting mad, telling these guys, you guys are all a bunch of messed up fishermen. Bow your knees. No record of that. The only thing we see here is we see repentance, but it didn't come after a turn or burn message. It came after an, an outrageous day of fishing. It was their best day they've ever imagined. You know when you were a kid and you were thinking about, man, what would your best day look like? Like let, let's say you're in this, if, you're, if you're a day trader, you're like, man, if I could just buy a stock at this price and sell it at this price, make that much profit, best day. Some of you have that lottery. Some of you don't do the lottery too holy for that. You're like, uh, what is it called? The rider's sweepstake or uh, uh, maybe not. Yeah, some sweepstake. My grandma used to do it. I can't remember what it is. She used to brag. She didn't do the lottery, but she did this other sweepstake. Like, it's kind of the same thing, grandma. Um, but uh, I was thinking about this. You think about best case scenario when you win some boatload of money and it's like the greatest day ever. And I was thinking about how these guys, they realized how bad they were, not by realizing how bad they were, but actually having an encounter with how awesome God is. I think that's where repentance comes from. Repentance doesn't come from someone telling you how screwed up you are. Repentance comes when you say, man, God is so holy. He's so awesome. He's so pure. He's so wonderful. He's got fire in his eyes. He's got hair like wool. He's going he's gonna to light all of eternity up. There's no lamps in heaven. For the Bible says that Jesus himself lights up the streets of gold. You think about how awesome and majestic our God is. Listen to me. So, so powerful. And you think about how holy and awesome he is. No one told Peter he was a screwed up guy. You know what he saw? He saw a miracle happen in his nets. You know what I love about God? Is he spoke, he, he told fishermen how good he was by speaking fishermen's languages. Isn't that a cool thought? How, how, how cool would it be if God showed you how real he was? You're in real estate? How cool would it be if God showed you how good he is that there's things that happen to you in your office that doesn't happen to anybody else because there was a favor that you tap into because you're actually going, God, show me as I obey your voice a net-breaking catch. And he speaks the language of real estate. He speaks the language of academics, giving you straight A's. He's helping you out, man, in your nursing program. He's helping you out right now. With your, are you hearing me today? He, he speaks the language of what we live. And to fishermen... He shows them net-breaking catches. The only two boats on the water that day in the middle of the afternoon, James and John, Peter, Andrew. Guys are on the boat. They're on the, they're on the waters. And they catch so many fish. It's the greatest they've ever seen. They saw the goodness of God. Peter fell at his feet. He said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. No one told him that. He just saw how good God was. And I believe that's what miracles do. Someone said a miracle is worth a thousand sermons. 
Why do you believe in miracles, Mark? Because when God heals somebody, only in a way that only God could heal them, only God could take the credit for it. I believe that miracles are free advertisement for Jesus. When you get healed, I've seen miracles, almost every miracle in the Bible I've seen. I have never healed anybody, but I've prayed for so many people all over the world. I've been to Australia 16 times. I've seen people in Australia that I've prayed for that could not have kids, that had partial hysterectomies, that have two kids now. I've, I've seen creative miracles. I've seen God open up blind eyes. I spoke to one of the biggest churches in Seattle, Washington. A girl, first time her whole life ever going to church. And I said, there's a woman in here, God, God's speaking to me, there's a woman in here that you can't see out of one of your eyes. She was an 18-year-old girl, first night ever being in church. Prayed for, I brought her on the stage, old school, brought her on the stage, youth conference. Started worshiping Jesus. I said, who believes? Probably like this room, about 10% of you would go like, yeah, we could do it. 80%, arms crossed. I want to remind you though that history doesn't record the critics. History records the Caleb's, the Joshua's. It's easy to be like the 10. I'm telling you that when God comes, he says, will there be faith on the earth? He's not looking for cynicism, pessimism. No pessimist ever found new galaxies. New pe no pessimist ever found new lands. No one ever loaded up in a boat and went into the deep in, in some skeptical perspective. It's always those that believe that God can. I believe the future belongs to those that believe. Can I get an amen? The future be belongs to those that believe God. So I came here today to Walnut Creek, away from my church, which I love. And I'm here today to tell you that God wants you to get your belief up. Believe that Walnut Creek can be saved. That San Francisco belongs to Jesus. That where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. That the greatest revival that ever hit the earth is not going to be in the beginning of the church. It's going to be at the end of the church. Jesus isn't coming back for some toothless bride that lost its power. He's coming back for a glorious bride like a lion that has a, has a mouthful of fangs. God is going to do his best work at the end. Do you remember the story, first miracle of Jesus? What was it? Water to wine. What was, when was the best wine brought out? At the You know, it's interesting, the first miracle of Jesus in the book of Revelations talks about the, 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 the wedding supper of the Lamb. There's a wedding that, that, that started the ministry of Jesus, and there's a wedding that will conclude the ministry of Jesus. And here's my conviction, he's saving his best for the end. Are we in the last days, preacher? Well, I'm convinced we are 24 hours closer than we were this time yesterday. That's facts. We're going to be a people, if you're with me today, and I'll, I'll wrap this up, that number one, we're going, to, we're going to trust God in the low places. Number two, Simon would say that Jesus turns our livelihood into his business, his platform. Let, let God use our livelihood for his platform. Number three, details matter. Let's, let's listen, full obedience, full surrender. Number four, the goodness of God reveals who we really are. Number five, I would encourage you, I think Simon would tell us this, follow the man, not the miracles. Follow the man, not the miracles. Here's the pendulum balance right here theologically. I talk about miracles. Some of you get so excited, you're like, it's about dang time. Others of you are like, no, let's not talk about that. I would encourage both of you to come back to the middle. We don't worship miracles. We worship the man. I'm not building our church in California on miracles. I'm building it on the miracle worker. I don't get in my car, drive 600 miles to go to some weird conference that, that feathers are falling and gold teeth are coming in. I, I'm not, I don't chase miracles. The Bible I read says signs and wonders follow us. I don't follow signs. And I believe that what Peter would tell us today is on the greatest day of his life, fishing, business, financially, the most lucrative day in the history of his career, he was willing to leave the miracle and follow the man. I think the reason why Peter was in the inner circle 
was because he didn't choose to, to serve Jesus at the bottom of his life. He chose to say yes to Jesus at the top. And I feel like we're in Walnut Creek, it's like Newport Beach, that some of you, you're not in the bottom of your life right now, you're at the top of your life right now. And I believe that some of you will be in God's inner circle as you say, God, I'm not gonna just give you the scrap leftovers of my broken, dysfunctional life. And by the way, I believe that God is for the down and out, but I also believe it's the up and out that need Jesus too. Can I get a witness in here? I know people that have $40 million houses in our church that have everything that money can buy them and they are still spiritually bankrupt. There are some things that only God, are you hearing me today? And that's why I want you to know California, the hope of America is not, it's, look, I'm all about raise up righteous leaders, please. Righteous politicians, please. God, please raise up righteous people in, in government, in business. Raise up righteous people. But I want you to know that the problem of our state is not a problem that we can legislate. It's not, a, it's not a war that our Marines can fight for us. It's not something that NATO can solve. The heart of California's problem is the problem of the human heart. Our, our state is sick and Jesus is the cure. And I believe that if we will be bold in this conviction, and I'm telling you that we're living in, we're living in Babylon. Everyone's going, you can't even talk like this anymore, Mark. But I'm telling you that he is the solution. And it's not anger, it's not rage, it's not being mean-spirited, it's speaking the truth in Love. Today it's like you pick one or the other. You have churches that are loving, we love everyone, everything, and tolerate everything, or we have people that are full of truth and they're mean. Where are the churches that go, no, we believe in the truth, but we love everybody. God loves you where you are, how you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay out in that freeway. If you really love your kid, they're playing in the freeway. You don't go, no, I love my kids playing on the freeway because I just love them so much. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to like bug them. They're like having such a good time out there. What do you do as a parent? Kids in a dangerous place, you go, I'm going to meet you there because I love you. But I love you too much to let you stay there. I don't like going to church and feel uncomfortable. This pastor from Orange County is kind of made me feel uncomfortable today. Well, I hope so. I hope that we go to church like the gym and get disrupted sometimes. I'll tell you right now, I don't like, if you don't like being offended in church, I don't like being offended in the gym. I don't like when Gemini is trying to get me to eat the weights. I don't like sweating. Like, can you imagine going to the gym and be like, look, I'll sign up at 45 under one condition. I don't want to ever feel uncomfortable. I don't want to sweat. I don't want to be sore. I don't want to feel any type of discomfort. But I want results. You know, it's funny, in the church today in America, that's what we do. Serve my kids, serve my family, be a great church, but don't ever make me feel. Don't ever disrupt my comfort. Don't challenge my academic theology of who God is. Don't tell me there's more than I've experienced. Don't tell me that the cemetery professor, the seminary professor that has zero fruit of Jesus is actually the right, and all these people in the Bible that did the, the works of Jesus are wrong. I would tell you today, anybody that makes you scared of what Jesus is not scared of is lying to you. If Jesus wasn't scared of the Holy Spirit, friends, you shouldn't be. And incidentally, that's my last point. Are you guys still with me today? We're having a good time. It's number six is Peter would tell us that we need the spirit of Jesus to live like Jesus. We need the spirit of Jesus to live like Jesus. I believe that we have a lot of defeated Christians today in the church because they love God genuinely, but they've never had an ax moment with him. That they say, Holy Spirit, I've been water baptized. Would you please baptize me, submerge me with your sweet spirit? Would you give me the mind of Jesus, the heart of Jesus? I heard Tozer one time say that you can't paint like Michelangelo without the spirit of Michelangelo that you can't create and innovate, like, like you, can't, you can't play the piano like Beethoven without the spirit of Beethoven. 
You can't do these things. You can't make electric cars like Elon without the spirit of Elon. But I'm telling you today that you can't live like Jesus without the spirit of Jesus. Amen? I'm not trying to get crazy or weird. I'm just saying, how many here would go, Mark, if, if I can be baptized in water, if I can be baptized amen, in, the, in, the, in the gospel salvation of Jesus, amen, I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I just want, I want all of, I, this is my simple message to my church. I want everything that Jesus died to give me. Anybody say amen to that? If you can't say amen to that, you're hard-hearted. And I just think that, man, I want everything that God came to give me. I have atheist friends who go, Mark, Christianity used to fairy tale for people that are scared of the dark. I said, no, atheism is a fairy tale for people that are scared of the light. I believe that God wants you to be submerged in his light. Amen? Can I pray for you today? Stand your feet. I'm sorry, I went a little over time. Lord, we just love you. We invite you right now, Lord, in this room to come meet us where we are. Anybody want to create, come on, Mission Church, just say, God, I want everything that you died to give me. If you can heal me today, would you heal me? If you can fill me today, would you fill me? If there's peace that I can have that I don't have right now, would you please release it? I want what Paul had, Peter had, Barnabas had. God, I want to be filled. I want to walk in your, I want to walk in the spirit. It says to walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. God, I want everything, Jesus. Like Simon, I want to go from Simon to Peter. And I want to remind you, come on, Northern California, that it wasn't just the words of Jesus. It wasn't just the life of Jesus. It wasn't even the death, the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Peter still was willing to deny Jesus after all of that. Peter didn't become a rock until he had an encounter with the presence of the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you today, we need, a, we need that same encounter. So I pray today, Lord, for even men and women right now, I even feel like there's like 60-year-old, 60, 70-year-old 60 people in here today, that you're going to do something. We had an 80-year-old, uh, no, it was a 75-year-old rabbi, Jewish rabbi in our church, that he memorized the Torah that gave his heart to Jesus two Sundays ago at our church. He said, I've read the Bible, I know, I know the Old Testament, but I've never encountered the Spirit of God. I'm telling you, our church, we see miracles every week, every week. Well, Mark, my pastor said there's no miracles anymore, your old church. Yet your pastor got what he believed. God will always honor according to your belief. One of my mentors said, Mark, the Jesus you preach is the Jesus that you get. You preach a powerful Jesus, he'll be powerful. You preach a Jesus that just gets you to heaven, that's all you're going to get. I believe the church has to get their faith up. So Lord, hands up all over the room. Would you say this day, uh, Mission Church, would you say, fill me with faith today. In Jesus' name. Last thing I do today, if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus, eyes closed, heads bowed, your heart's beating out of your chest, you're sweating in parts of your body, you didn't know you could sweat. How many today would say, Mark, would you please today, I want to get right with God. I want all of God that I can have in my life. From the back of the room, the front of the room, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. I just want you to raise your hand as we're out of time. Raise your hand real quick all over the room. Three seconds. You start putting your hands up. I want to get right with God today. One. There we go. Yeah, keep going up. More hands. Two. I need every hand that's going to go up to go up. Keep it up for me. Three. Real high. I see five hands. Six hands. Seven hands. Real high. Real high. I want to get right. I want to get right. Nine hands. Awesome. Come on, all of Mission Church. Do we have time for this? Do we have time to get people saved today? Is that all right? Pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I invite you to come today, fill me today, heal me today, guide me today. I give you the keys to my future, and I ask you now to fill me in this present. Speak to me as I read the Bible. Direct my steps from here out 
Jesus Christ is my Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone at Mission Church said amen. Thank you so much. Come on. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.